Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is the best little horror house in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is a pal of mine and one of the hosts of the new podcast, The Weekly Podcast Massacre. Greg Anderson is here. Hey, bud. Hello. Hello, George. How are you? I'm doing splendid. Very excited to talk about today's movie. This is a big one for us and appropriate considering the last movie that I talked about. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, the, t- the timing on that worked out pretty great. Kind of two off kilter of the dead movies. Yeah, yeah. They fit nicely together. Yeah. <laughs> but before we get into that, why don't we talk about where your love of horror comes from and how it all started for you? Sure. Yeah, I was on your uh, Friday the 13th part two episode and I talked about it a little there, but I was not a horror movie fan growing up until I was about 10 or 11 or so. And the closest I got to loving horror or being able to even watch horror without covering my eyes or <laughs> hiding behind a blanket or finding excuses to leave the room and all that <laughs> stuff as you do as a kid to escape sure. scary parts in movies. The only thing I was able to watch was Army of Darkness because of the comedy element. It was funny enough to kind of mask over the scary parts that I still was timid about what, every time they came up. But, you know, yeah. you knew there was a joke coming a couple minutes later, so it was okay. And so I watched the original Evil Dead and was about 11 expecting that level of comedy and that level of accessibility. <laughs> and it haunted me for years and years afterwards. But it opened up a whole new world of movies after that because that was so intense to me. Anything I saw after that felt like, you know, tame by sure. comparison. Absolutely. Yeah. And I still have a special, special place in my heart for Evil Dead. But I very quickly after that discovered this movie. And it, this has been, I think, my favorite ever since. I assume you eventually got to Evil Dead 2, which oh, yeah. is I kind of it. in the middle there. <laughs> yeah, I watched it in pretty quick succession, and that one was a lot more easy to take down yeah. and digest. Yeah. <laughs> I still get a little timid every time I put on the original Evil Dead. I still remember that feeling sure. of first discovering, okay, wait a minute, this isn't going to be a comedy. <laughs> this yeah. isn't going to be, this is like, you're going to actually see pencils go into angles and things Ooh. like that. Yeah, it rocked my world. I can believe it. Yeah, I, then I didn't feel that way with a horror movie again until I saw today's movie. So I do want to talk about your show a little bit, which I have been oh, very sure. much enjoying. I know right now you guys are doing uh, a themed month, Killer Objects. Are y'all going to yeah. keep doing themed months or like what's sort of the plan with that? Yeah, so we are going to be doing theme months still going forward. And I'll give a little hint that coming up in August, we have a nice little punned uh, <laughs> theme with a, we have assimilation August, or I guess an alliterative, not really a pun, but yeah. So we're starting certainly a play with, on uh, words at the very least. Yeah, <laughs> there's some wit to it. If you, if you <laughs> think about it. Absolutely. Um, so we're starting off with uh, the 1970s invasion of the body snatchers. Wow. A great and, one. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. We have, uh, we have some really good ones planned coming up. I'm trying to push a couple of ideas of my co-hosts. <laughs> a lot more pun titles coming up for themes. Yeah. Well, that's that's right on my alley. So, and yeah, I mean, the show is great. I li- I've been listening. I love the Christine episode in particular. That's a movie that has a very close place in my heart. And you guys are you're not just covering the big names, which I can always appreciate. You know, you mm-hmm. did Microwave Massacre, you did Slacks, which is a pretty new movie as well. A lot of fun stuff. So yeah, we try to have a, a wide range. And then our upcoming episode, which we announced on the Slacks episode, is uh, a Dutch film, The Lift, yeah. by one of my favorite directors, Dick Moss. Wow. Um, <laughs> who uh, has been a real good, like, he's been a real fun, like horror find lately. And if you like dig into his movies, there's a lot of great stuff in there. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely be checking that out when I watch it for the podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> why don't you tell us a little bit about your favorite subgenre as well? Because it seems like there is a comedy through line between the big yeah. ones that you named. 
before my obsession with horror began when I was about, you know, it was like a, a preteen and early teen, my obsession was comedy. And so, I mean, that was the natural end for me was right. horror comedies. And yeah, there, I think I would say in a, in a broader sense, that is my favorite subgenre, but also because evil dead has an early kind of zombie element and uh, growing up, I mean, I was not a fan of horror movies, but I was definitely into horror video games, or the, you know, or at least watching our brother play <laughs> horror video games. So I was a big Resident Evil fan growing up. So zombies have always held a special place as well. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And I mean, we've already said what movie we're talking about today, which is Return of the Living Dead. But this is a movie that has come up in a lot of other episodes because first of all, everyone loves this movie because it's fucking great. Uh, But also, it's a very interesting movie in terms of how it is broken off of the Night of the Living Dead. It also exists in part of the Murderer's Row that is 1985 cinema. And indeed, part of the zombie crown jewels, the watershed moment where zombies first developed the taste for brains. Like this movie has so much going on not just in the context, but in terms of how it actually executes it, that it's really remarkable, even if it wasn't like funny and good looking and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. It would be interesting for so many other reasons, but it's interesting for all these reasons. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And it also, I think it came out sandwiched between Reanimator and Day of the Dead in that same year. Like I think Day of the Dead came out a month after this. I have to imagine a little bit because this was popular and well-reviewed at the time that it kind of like, took some of the steam out of Day of the Dead's release and critical reception because you have this movie that is such a send-up of the traditional Romero-style zombies. Right. And then you have a Romero movie dropping a month later. <laughs> uh, and it I have to imagine it took some of the wind out of its sails. Yeah, especially because that is a particularly bleak installment of the Romero movies. And, uh, you know, this certainly has a, a nihilistic quality of its own, but yeah. because it has the comedy to sort of uh, cut that a little bit. It makes it a little more palatable than just the constant dourness of Day of the Dead, which I do love. I, I have to you, say. Ju- you just distilled right there why I think this is like a perfect <laughs> horror movie because it is so nihilistic and so funny in the same breath. Yeah. And Day of the Dead has like some slight comedic moments in it. And there is some pretty good comedy there to cut that like really thick tension, but it's not doing it just back to back. Like return to living dead is yeah. where you have something that is so at once funny. And then the more you think about it, it's also intensely disturbing and bleak. And right. uh, you don't even notice because of the comedy. <laughs> yeah, It's not until the very last scene where you're like, Oh wow, <laughs> this is really kind of like, it makes sense. This is what it's been leading us to, but it, it is, it is quite shocking. So we talked in the previous episode about uh, when we were talking about the Night of the Living Dead remake, the way that the copyright for George Romero's 1968 version was left off and it entered the public domain. I'm not going to rehash the entirety of how that shook out, but George had co-written this with John Russo. And when they went their separate ways after night, they parted pretty amicably with Russo retaining the Living Dead portion of the title specifically while Romero was going to make his own line of sequels with Blackjack and Hookers and the Of the Dead <laughs> aspect of the name. What a strange thing to negotiate for, like to think, I really want that living dead part. <laughs> hey man, that was the secret sauce as far as yeah. Russo was concerned. I mean, I do love that portion of the title. It really, it really does add a lot yeah. to it. Yeah. It's it's very evocative. You understand that it's very much about like the reanimation of these zombies and yes. not just like you know, Day of the Dead could be a million things, but this 
Return of the Living Dead, you know exactly what you're in for right away. Yeah, definitely. And I think the movie, I mean, not to like jump into this first scene, but that movie kind of knows it too. When you have that title card come up with the music <laughs> playing, it's so confident. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, we know how kind of badass this is, <laughs> this whole aesthetic and the style. Absolutely. But so John wrote Return of the Living Dead as a book, and then they were going to have Toby Hooper direct it. Now, this is a really interesting choice. I do think that it would have worked. I think that Toby Hooper does have the comedy chops to pull this off, along with obviously the darker moments. There's a lot of comedy in Poltergeist. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is very funny. And I, mean, I think the entire reason for, I think, swinging so hard at the comedy in Texas Chainsaw 2 was people saying, or he was saying that people didn't understand the comedy of the first film. He right. needed that to be a comedy. Uh, <laughs> right. And I think that that is what's interesting is that he not only has the comedy chops, but in the original Texas Chainsaw, I think it is doing an admirable job of finding that similar balance to this, where the uh, like I think always of the moment where Leatherface comes out and it's like the third person in the house. Yes. And he's just like, throws up his hands like what the fuck is happening yeah i mean it's similar to this it's like and it, yeah like in the same shot it's at once relatable scary disturbing sad like there's a lot you can take from that moment um based on how like hooper like frames him and you see the panic in his face and his eyes yeah yeah it's 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 and it's <laughs> and it's also still scary he still just <laughs> murdered somebody so <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Um, Now, Dan O'Bannon of Alien fame came in to give the script a once over, polish it up. And while he's talking to Toby, he says, hey, man, check out the (laughs) script that I wrote. (laughs) And what do you know? Suddenly, Toby has backed out of Return of the Living Dead to direct Life Force, which is a pretty fun movie about space vampires. I still need to see that one. There's a lot of early Hooper I'm still missing. So that one's on my list. Yeah, I mean, look, it's an overturn of the living dead. I'll tell you that for free. (laughs) What is, you know? So true. So true. When you set the bar that high, you're really setting yourself up for failure. But now they have no director. And so the studio is like, "Uh, well, what about you, Dan? And he says, hell yeah, I want to do this, but only if I can take another pass at the script, really make it different from Romero's. Like you said, more of a send up of it kind of. Uh, right. a pastiche using it as a springboard to create their own thing. Yeah. It's, it's such a different way to approach a story and it's meta in a way that few things are. It exists yes. in a very strange place where it at once like acknowledges that there's, there is a movie that exists, <laughs> but we're not following that movie's rules, but that movie did have some things right and some things wrong. And it becomes the only basis for like their knowledge of what's happening is this yeah. movie and it's not accurate. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> that they're like, oh yeah, you know how when they adapt a, a real story for the screen, things get changed. That's what <laughs> happened here. And you're like, great, I get it. I'm in. It is it's like trying to negotiate like a, a hostage negotiation, only knowing <laughs> like action movies, you know. Yeah. Like you just think, okay, that's how the, you know Arnold, that's how, how Arnold does it is how the real world works. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I also saw a lovely quote that said he'd never felt so fulfilled as when he finally got to direct his first big film. I yeah, thought that was wonderful. In preparation for this, I rewatched the movie with his commentary on, and uh, you can tell just how much of a film lover he is. I mean, a lot of these guys of this generation, you know, him and John Carpenter and uh, all the other guys he kind of worked with tangentially, like George Lucas, like they all grew up as just massive film nerds right? who are now getting a chance to kind of make the movies they always wanted to make as kids. And you can still feel that kid's excitement in their movies. (laughs) 
and especially in, with Dan O'Bannon talking about this, where he was got to be different and express himself. And, you know, he really fought to do what he wanted. You can, yeah, I just, I feel that excitement and love of movies in, in this, in this, you know, it's clear yeah. that he's very excited to be working on, a, a, you know, and be directing his first feature. Yeah. Yeah. And knocked it out of the park as far as I'm concerned. So good job, man. <laughs> The design of the movie was done by William Stout, his very first, although he'd been doing storyboard work for movies like Raiders of the Lost Ark. And he went on to do Conan the Barbarian's production design as well, which that's yeah. a well-designed movie for I sure. Mean, they are two of my top five movies of all time, <laughs> particularly because of the production design. Uh, yeah, this is very much like a production designer's movie. Like You can feel it in the frames when you look at the level of detail, these sets. Mm -hmm. And um, especially when you learn about the constraints, the time constraints that were under and the low budget of this movie, what they right. managed to accomplish with so little time is, is truly remarkable. Yeah. And I also really like how when he was looking for inspiration in terms of how they were going to look, he went to the Welsh legend of the bog people, <laughs> <laughs> which, first of all, great name. Oh, Second yeah. of all. I think that it really works because they look very different from the Romero zombies, but still in that kind of like falling apart way, Tar Man in particular is very visceral yes. and gross and slimy, um, which is very much not the case of the original Romero zombies. Yeah. Um, it's just, it, it looks great. And I think that um, as much as there is that excitement and, and joy that Dan O'Bannon is bringing, um, I think that without William Stout's work, there's no way that this movie is as successful in execution as it is today. Oh, definitely. I mean, you see some of it in the movie a little bit because they, I think they had a, a partway through production had to fire their <laughs> visual effects artist and hire a new one with only like three weeks left in the shoot. Right. And so you can kind of see a little bit some of the, in the movie, there's like leftover shots of a lot of the effects that they ended up replacing later that didn't work, particularly the headless yellow zombie. Mm -hmm. If you've like seen the production stills of the old one, it is like a dude in a yellow sweater, like <laughs> over his head. It's so cheap looking. So you look at the idea of like what this movie could have been. It could have been so much cheaper and so much cheesier with it, with the budget it had, but William Stout was able to execute O'Bannon's vision perfectly with so little. And it's so funny that that is the first zombie. So like, when you see like the arm fall off and it looks yeah. like shit and you're just like, Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it. You know what came after this movie, but I mean, you see that in return of the living dead too. Like that is very, that is very much what this movie could have been without the level of like care and craft that William Stout brought to it. Yes, absolutely. Um, he also, one of the other big influences on the look of it was the classic EC comics, which you can hear all about on the Patreon. <laughs> um, the cast here is wonderful as well. We get Clue Gallagher as Bert doing like mm -hmm. a Jimmy Stewart impression that I'm totally on board for. Oh yeah. He's, he plays a great, uh, like tough guy in this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get James Karen as Frank and Don Calfra as Eddie. Found in Mulholland Drive as Wally and the principal in Twin Peaks, respectively. So yeah, yeah, that's fun. A little David Lynch connection. I know I love it, and you best believe I was, <laughs> I was coming in with that fact ready to go. You beat me to it. <laughs> um, I also, of course, love the names being Bert and Ernie. That's yes. a fun little thing. Supposedly unintentional, but you know, uh, yeah, they just work really well together, though. That's the kind of thing where I like believe it was unintentional, but then they noticed and they were like, yeah, well, we're going to leave it in. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
exactly. Yeah. They just didn't want to take credit for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's also a Friday the 13th franchise through line with Michael Nunez Jr. as Spider and Tom Matthews as Freddy from Friday 5 and 6, respectively. Yes. Oh, and uh, Mark Venturini from Friday 5. Really? I don't think I even yes. realized he was in there. He's the he he's the one who acts as Joey. He plays Vic. Oh my god, he totally is. Yeah. I he he sadly passed away fairly early, I think, or fairly soon after Friday 5 was released. Wow. But based on those two roles, I mean, I'm a big fan. Who knows what could have happened. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, hey, he he kills it. Unintended. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that factors into uh, Friday. I have a special love for Friday Five as well. And part of it is the Return of the Dead connection with those actors. Sure. Hey, what better reason? Yeah. And, uh, you know, like you said, this movie was very rushed and it had a very low budget, only around $4 million, which is not a lot, especially for something as special effects heavy as a zombie movie. Yeah. And especially, especially a zombie movie that is like, it's not just like in a farmhouse the way that the original one was. This is very specific sets that are constructed for this movie with uh, all kinds of fun names and fires and (laughs) stuff needed. So yeah, they talk about this a little bit on the the commentary watch was with O'Bannon and and William Stout and how uh, basically they worked entirely in this one warehouse in Burbank and every set was built inside it's all it was also their production offices it was their <laughs> like storage it was you know is where they went and took lunch breaks and everything so everything was shot in this one warehouse and it kind of sectioned off into like okay this is our crematorium this is our <laughs> warehouse this is our office you know and it uh i think that it kind of gives it this really interesting almost like live theater feel where you can kind of yes. you can kind of tell that all these are constructed sets but they are also very convincingly constructed sets yeah i think that the the fact also that makes me feel like it it has a theatrical quality to it is that even though it is multiple locations they are all within a very tight area and so there's a lot of running back and forth between the sets but there's only a few to keep going back between uh, which which i i like i you know they keep it fresh by having a few and they're never in one spot for too long but it gives you that variety without feeling like a bottle episode. Exactly. And you also have the like the kind of two different groups of characters you're following too. So it, it's kind of a large cast, but also very limited casts. Right. Because uh, even like the of, second yeah. group splits as well. <laughs> yes. And so you get a lot of variations of these people in the crematorium, these people in the warehouse, these people grouped together. It's kind yeah. of exciting when certain characters link up at certain times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When they finally meet up, you're like, holy shit, this is yeah. really happening. <laughs> And it, it made 14 and a quarter million dollars on that $4 million budget. So I'll call that a success for sure. And even old Raj gave it three stars <laughs> out of four, uh, decrying it as made from the usual ingredients. But he did say that they were doing it with style. I don't, I love that he liked it, but the usual, what is he talking about? The usual ingredients. <laughs> What's usual about this? Zombies exist in it, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I, Raj. I don't know what you're up to, man. <laughs> um, you just can't pay horror a straight compliment. <laughs> That's it. I think that that is genuinely it. <laughs> <laughs> but to get into the actual movie, you already kind of talked about this opening title card, which mm-hmm. I love. I think that this is, as you say, an extremely confident move, real heater to come out of the gate with the events portrayed in this film are all true. The names are real names of real people and real organizations. 
I love it. I love the the audacity to even claim to try to claim that it's true, and then to not go the route of like, oh, but we've changed the names and things. But no, these are the actual <laughs> names. So we're 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 lying, but we're also lying about lying. Like it's, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could go to Louisville today and yeah. see the gravestones <laughs> of Freddie and Frank. But so we open up with you need a medical supply first of all all-time great fake company name as far as i'm concerned up there with acme yes Um, absolutely you need it we got it none larger you need a (laughs) medical supply (laughs) they're also our sponsor today (laughs) (laughs) a subsidiary Uh, of you need (laughs) it it's it's july 3rd 1984 day before fourth of july weekend uh 5 30 eastern Frank and Freddie are saying goodbye to Bert, who owns You Need a Medical Supply. And Frank is going to show Freddie the ropes at this supply store because he was just hired to work in the warehouse. Um, He makes a joke about the skeleton farm in India. But this reminded me that there was actually like that huge thing with the bodies exhibit where it turned out that the cadavers were traced to a Russian medical examiner who was convicted of illegally selling the bodies of homeless people, prisoners and indigent hospital patients like. Good Lord. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't want to be rehashing the commentary this entire time, but Bannon talks about where this came from. And it is a similar thing where he uh, kind of name dropped a little bit. And he's like, oh, when I was working on Alien with H.R. Giger, <laughs> like he had ordered some human skulls to use as like reference for his drawings when mm-hmm. he was designing the Xenomorph. And O'Bannon described how he like took a bone saw and like cut him to pieces and like positioned them certain ways and wow. stuff. But he was, he noticed how, all the skulls had perfect teeth, which is the line in this movie too, about, you know, what, how do you, do you, how many people do you know with perfect teeth? And so how do you get so many for like medical schools and things like that? And they joke about a skeleton farm in India. And this is like a, also a thing that Toby Hooper once joked about with O'Bannon. That's where it came from. So I think there might be a skeleton farm in India and O'Bannon laughed and then kind of thought about it for a second. It's like, Oh, <laughs> that's not a be. good thing. That's, yeah. that's horrible. Yeah. During the process of showing Freddy the ropes, uh, he also shows him a freezer with a fresh corpse in it. He says uh, there's usually even more, but things are slow because of the holiday weekend. And I think it is very funny to leave this room with, hey, look alive. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, there's so many great dead puns like that. Look alive. The phone's dead. It's dead. Just like it's, con- yeah, it's constant throughout. I also love here. He says that the body is they're, they're used for like um, weapons training by the military. Right. So this body is eventually going to be taken to shipped off, you know, shipped off and like shot at or blown up. Wow. It's, yeah. it's not a not a very dignified life for a corpse. No, and I think that's a big part of this movie. Honestly, is how we do like view and treat our dead, though, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, cut to punks, a variety <laughs> of punks, one of each type. You get Spider in a military look, mm-hmm. uh, a preppy girl named Tina, a biker chick named Trash, who is Leanna Quigley, famous from such movies as Silent Night, Deadly Night, and Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolarama. Both very fun movies as well. Uh, a Devo guy named Chuck. <laughs> Travis Bickle Light named Scuzz. And then I guess like traditional 80s punk Casey. She yeah. says, fuck off and die. It's fun. It's great. Yeah, they're all they're all wonderful. They all have their little catchphrases and memorable lines. Like I seriously don't think there's a wasted line of dialogue in this that hasn't become like, you know, like a thing you can yell out and get recognized <laughs> instantly. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think that they're very fun. It's great to me that there are all these different like types of punks, because if it was just like a a mass of the same kind of person, then they become Mm -hmm. a unit, you know, then it's just the group. 
But by making them all distinguishable from each other, it's much more identifiable to have individuals there. Yes. You know, you have trash instead of one of the punks. You have spider instead of one of the punks. Uh, I think it's a really smart move and it adds a lot of visual flair as well. It's just it's just really good yeah. filmmaking. And they also feel like different stereotypes than your typical like slasher teens. Yeah. Um, they feel unique in that way. And they also when they kind of fight with each other, I think we talked about this a little bit in our Friday the 13th episode, but when you believe that they're friends, there's a certain magic to it. But it, in this case, I weirdly believe that they're <laughs> like frenemies with like suicide. Yeah. They straight up say, but well, you only hang out with you because you drive us around. Yeah. He's got it, actually answers, it actually answers that horror movie question <laughs> of like, why would these people hang out together if they don't like each other? And they straight up tell you, well, yeah, we use you for rides. There yeah. you go. <laughs> Uh, he's not happy about it. Yeah, it, they they have that believability and like they're just a bunch of people who kind of maybe don't really like each other all the time, but they also want they all want to drink and party together. So they know they can find that with these people, even if they're not the, the best people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're also they're going to go pick Freddie up because he's Tina's boyfriend and he always knows where there's a place to party. They say <laughs> uh, great guy to know. You got to know one of those guys. That's my buddy, Craig. He's our oh, yeah. guy who always knows where there's a place to party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Freddy's essential. Absolutely. Yes. And Freddie asks Frank what the weirdest thing he ever saw was. And Frank asks if he knows that Night of the Living Dead was based <laughs> on a real case. And so this is where it starts getting really interesting. And they start kind of folding in the lore of Night of the Living Dead, but really only to like kind of look at it from like a distant area yeah. to be like you you know that movie similar but not not the same <laughs> we're starting at the same place dead right. rising from there it's all different exactly yeah i really this is this is legitimately my favorite film monologue of all time i, I love james karen's read of this and his performance it's so well timed out and planned you can find out like just you know reading behind the scenes stuff that like james karen and uh tom matthews really got along and rehearsed together and like really kind of like had this genuine connection with each other on set yeah. and it really shows here their timing is is, is wonderful very visible. and like yeah you can really feel that like tom matthews is invested in his in this story <laughs> and it's like genuinely chilling you know with his little like the little yeah. like the flavor he adds to it is, is so great his facial expressions and his his mannerisms, the fact that he like accepts a call from his wife in the middle of it. <laughs> I also love that it's so he sees that it's working and yeah. like leans into it. He's like, yes, this is doing exactly what I want. Like Absolutely. he's totally fall, like buying it, hook, line, and sinker. I say buying it, but it is true. So I mean, <laughs> I don't know how much it's buying it so much as being engaged with the story. Definitely. <laughs> and it has one of my other my one of my little favorite lines of dialogue. At that where he's just like you know explaining it away how do these end up here his he he literally waves his hand and says typical government fuck up and it's like, <laughs> oh yeah we all know the government sucks at doing yeah. their job yeah this is that's so funny to me too because that to me is like the most connection that it shares with the romero ones yes, definitely <laughs> it has that anti-government anti-establishment bent like in its bones yes for sure and so basically frank explains that a medical spill leaked into the morgue and made the dead rise up at a VA hospital in Pittsburgh is what the actual story was. And that they threatened to sue George Romero. So he changed the story. And that's why we got the movie we got, which again, you know, to me, very fun, very meta yes. to talk about like the way that filmmaking happens and adapting stories. I, I, I just think it's great. 
I love the thought that like George Romero should make like a documentary and it turned into <laughs> Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> well, he did make documentaries too, yeah, which is part absolutely. of what I love. Oh man, there's a lot going on here, folks. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. And you have to want, it really makes me wonder too, like I've never really heard Romero talk about this movie or what he thinks of it really, but like, did he appreciate like the shout out? Did he see this as a jab at him or is it like a loving kind of tribute? Because it's it's not really like, it's not really making fun of Romero's style. It's just using it in such a clever way yeah. as like a joke almost of like, okay, we all know how this is going to go. This is going to be like a Romero movie because it's based on the same events. <laughs> so yeah, I'm very curious what he thought of this. Well, I did actually look into it a little bit and I saw mostly stuff that was like, he was constantly having to tell people that he didn't make the <laughs> eating brains thing. And so, you know, I think it's great that he was trying to give credit where it was due and say like, look, this is its its own great thing. It has yes. its own indelible mark on the zombie horror subgenre. I, I mean, I feel like if, if he did dislike it, we would have heard a lot more about it. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I hope he liked it at the very least. He, yeah. He had a good head screwed on there. George, yeah, definitely. Uh, I could just, I could see there being a little resentment for being like, no, I'm not the brains guy having to say that constantly. Yeah. People coming up to him and trying to do zombie impressions and saying <laughs> brains and getting it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> they go up to him like, I'm tar man. Yeah. He's like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Do, do a classic army fuck up. The bodies got shipped there instead of Darrow chemicals. So they head down to the basement to check it out. 14 years later, still there in these metal shipping containers. And you can just look right through the people. Very generous of them to design oh, yeah. these, these tankers <laughs> this way. We kind of learned that the corpse inside might still be conscious. So maybe it's for his benefit. Maybe it's so to give him a view. Right? So true. <laughs> I also love that after this guy has been shit talking the army for literally that entire monologue. Yeah. When Freddie asks him if it'll leak, he's like, hell no, this was made by the army Corps of engineers. <laughs> Another great little jab at the military and the establishment. Yeah. Right. Of course, uh, as the, soon as he slaps the side, it starts leaking vigorously. This is also when the flesh starts regenerating and the title card comes up. I love a good delayed title card. This is about yeah. nine minutes into the movie. Not too shabby. Yeah. You kind of forget you haven't seen it yet. And so when it like pops up, it's a, it's a real statement. And this font I, I learned from the William Stout commentary was the, uh, based on on Ralph Steadman's font and his drawings and stuff for Hunter S. Thompson. That's kind of where this font comes from. I see um, that. And it's like the aesthetic of the whole movie almost kind of has this like sort of cartoonist, you know, underground comics feel to it. So it's very fitting. Yeah, I, totally. Especially, I mean, like the poster itself as well. Like we never really see a zombie that looks exactly like that, but it is uh, or like either of the ones on the cover, yeah. but it's great. It's, it's, it's got a real look to it. That is all its own. Yes. And I think that, that that's hugely important because zombie movies in particular tend to be a little, uh, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it, but they're saturated. We'll say yeah. it's a saturated market. And so doing something like that to really distinguish yourself is huge in terms of memorability. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it also kind of fits in with like this movie status as like a punk movie mm -hmm. where it literally is just being different to be different. Yeah. It's like you can't get much more punk than that. Just being like, well, I'm only doing this because it's the opposite of what everyone else is doing. So, so true. So true. <laughs> the corpse in the freezer also starts wriggling to life as the air from the contaminated barrels sprays out all over it. It's now going through the pipes. A great signifier that this is not just going to affect the corpses that were in the barrels. It's a nice way of just being like, look, this is what's going to happen. 
yeah, this is where you, it first starts to like make things a little uh, like different too, is when you start to see exactly like what comes to life and where it's literally anything that was once alive. And then you kind of get the sense of uh, there's, there's different rules as to how, what gets animated and you know, how you kill these things. So it's, it's a great first reveal of like, okay, things are a little different here. Yeah. We then check in with the army guy out on the Pacific coast He's having a miserable day as usual. <laughs> Although I could get down with pork chops twice in one day. I don't know what he's complaining about. Yeah, that's about. a pretty fancy lifestyle, man. <laughs> but yeah, we, it's going to just be like, look, he's out there. He's ready. They're waiting for a phone call. Should mm. something show up? I think that that little scene I just, has a great, I mean, again, there's no wasted moment in this. It is just like a weird kind of expository scene of a setting up. Like, okay, they're kind of expecting something to happen. The military is going to get involved at some point. Right. But even within that, we have these jokes about how this guy is just a miserable <laughs> fuck who <laughs> yells at his wife for no reason. Right. And uh, she has a great, like, upper crust stuffy. I love her her reaction when she hears the pork shop <laughs> by and just kind of staring off into the distance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Slightly crestfallen. Yeah. Yeah, it is great. And and you know, I, I brushed over the scene, but like you say, this whole movie is very funny. There's lots of great jokes happening all the time. And yeah. uh if I listed every great joke, we would just be reading the movie. And so <laughs> Yeah. O'Bannon talk this is the last time I'll mention this commentary. No, <laughs> hey O'Bannon, man. Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch it, so this is perfect. You're bringing a talks about this this style of humor um he and william stout were both really big fans of mad magazine and Great. Stout had worked with um his name is harvey kurtzman who was a, a mad magazine artist and he had this style of humor that they 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 put in every drawing and every kind of illustration they call them eyeball kicks mm. but they're essentially just minute details crammed into every available space in the frame of your cartoon wow. so it's like you open up a mad magazine and you look here and there's something being satirized every couple of centimeters, you know, every couple of millimeters. And so that's kind of how they approach the design of this movie too. So when you look at the, the office, it's just covered in different photo, <laughs> naked photos in the background <laughs> jokes with like the, the Bert as a slave driver vision test thing. Um, wow. You know, there's, and when you look into the, the mortuary, there's all the Nazi stuff. In yeah. That. There's this movie is just <laughs> filled with, with jokes and, and satire, you know, every couple of feet basically that definitely comes through 30 minutes later the punks are riding along with suicide a spooky motherfucker they only call when they need a ride (laughs) that's how they describe him and he is spooky but they go he's genuinely threatening yeah he's got like the big like uh is is it a lip ring or a nose ring it's something that's going across his whole cheek looks heavy yeah it does look comfortable yeah but they're going to they're going to use him to go pick up Freddy and they decide that they're going to kill time until his shift is done by just fucking around in the graveyard across the street. As you do. Yeah, as you do. Been there before. In my old apartment, there actually was a historical cemetery, like Whoa. very close by. And so I would walk around that cemetery very frequently. And one time I found a headstone that said George H on it. And I oh never, <laughs> never found that gravestone again. <laughs> I, I do have a picture of it, so I know it existed at one point, but I was never able to wow. find it. This is like um, some fatal frame stuff. I think yeah. it only it only exists in that picture or something. <laughs> so it's a, uh, it's like a Back to the Future photo, you know. That's <laughs> I've actually been dead the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> but back at Unita, Freddie and Frank they wake up having been knocked out by this gas, uh, and they discover chaos. Everything is reanimated, including the previously mentioned cadaver, the split in half dogs, 
even the pinned butterflies are flapping their wings uh, on the yeah. board there. That's a great example of an eyeball kick, which is a phrase since I heard it the other day, I've been using it constantly. It's it a good one. Yeah, it describes so much of the comedy I love too. But uh, that, that those butterflies are never really acknowledged. They're there in the foreground, but the characters never notice that. It's right. just this little detail to add to it. Like, oh yeah, there's also zombie butterflies <laughs> on the They're wall the, real the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> I also love that they discuss what to do and settle on call the boss. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is a start to like the whole anti-capitalist view of this movie as well, where it's all becoming like, okay, well, how can we save the face of our business? Right. It's never about how do we save lives or how do we not get eaten? <laughs> it's just uh, how do we remain profitable after this? <laughs> right. Exactly. What is this going to do for my company down the road? Back at the cemetery, Trash is smoking with Snake and starts fantasizing about the, or no, with Spider. Excuse spider. me. There you go. She's smoking with Spider. Snake's whole, Snake was cut out of the movie. <laughs> She starts fantasizing about the worst ways to die. And for her, it's a bunch of old men getting around her and eating her alive, which the deliberate over specificity is just like the funniest thing in this movie to me. Absolutely. And that's it's it's funny that you say that because O'Bannon has talked about how he with the younger cast members in this, he really had them rehearse this like a live production. They rehearsed for like a week, which is not something you you don't normally get that long of rehearsal for movies. Right. And so they really had the timing down in their lines. And he was very specific about which lines and words he wanted them to enunciate because of the way he mixed the sound, all the songs to be higher to intentionally drown out some of the dialogue. Yeah. He has them ver- hit these certain words very hard so you can hear it over the music. Yeah. It's, I mean, it works really well. It is funny too, because like you, when you watch with subtitles, those lines are still there. So you get yeah. like a few jokes here and there that you didn't even know <laughs> about. And uh, it's fun, but I do like having the music be so in the foreground of this movie yeah. as well. Again, very punk again, very uh, like kind of doing its own thing, kind of being like, this is just how we're doing it. We're going to really slam you with this music. It's going to be a huge part of it. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of, I, I mentioned earlier about O'Bannon being part of the same, you know, he's sort of the same generation as Carpenter and, and Lucas and, and those guys, these, these, you know, film nerds growing up. And he in particular was a fan of Howard Hawks, who was kind of revolutionary for having overlapping dialogue in his movies and having this more kind of realistic sense of how people right. actually talk. And so he, added another layer to that with the music. So he has them yelling over <laughs> each other and then also layers music <laughs> over that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it works really nicely. But Trash takes off her clothes and she dances on the gravestone and the group hoots and hollers and basically they're all just reveling in their youth. It's a good moment for them to really like, I think that that moment really just kind of sums them up as a group. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, I mean, it's, it's become this like legendary scene in, it, it's hard to talk about this scene without sounding disgusting but it's a great scene <laughs> and it's it very does have that that wonderful like 80s horror energy to it where okay this is just happening we're going this far and movies are allowed to be this like exploitative yeah uh it's very unique to this time i think yeah absolutely now bert has arrived and in, as we said in order to protect his business he says we're just going to cover this up of course <laughs> And he delegates destruction of the evidence to Frank and Freddie. I thought this was so funny that when they called him to be like, what should we do? And then he's like, okay, you do this and you do this. And I'm going to just stand back. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That to me is uh, very accurate. (laughs) This is why he's, yeah, this is why he's a leader. (laughs) 
This is also the start, too, of like when he, Frank gets told that he's going to be the one destroying the body. This is where we get the start of Frank, of uh, James Karen's wonderful panicking. Oh, my God. The so good. howling that he yeah. does is just incredible. He it's, is it's, wailing. It is chilling. And uh, there's, a, there's a great quote from the commentary at one point. I don't remember where in the movie it was. One of the times where he is just like going... He's just crying and yelling, oh, Jesus. And yeah. uh, Dana Banish goes, oh, Jimmy Karen firing on both cylinders. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> that is, that's, how, that's a perfect way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah, because the door bursts open as they're getting ready to open it. And the zombie comes out and he's attacking them. And it's, it's chaos. You know, you have James Karen just screaming at the top of his lungs. You have Bert trying to be like, hold him down so I can freaking hit him with this thing. Yeah, you have the zombie saying brains in a way you can't exactly identify yet, but it just sounds like screaming. But if you listen, he actually is saying, he says it once or twice there. It's the first time you hear it. Bert pickaxes his head, but it's still alive, (laughs) which is (laughs) brutal. And this is where one of the big distinguishers from the Romero zombies kind of comes into play, which is that it's not enough to just destroy the brain or whatever that that doesn't take them down you have to destroy them completely yes is, yeah. is every every piece is, is still alive no matter how much you cut it up and separate it like it's still going to attack you right and i just also want to say there's such a great moment of like special effects there too with the pickaxe going into the brain and then the sawing of the head off it's very visceral Yes. Uh, much more visceral than I think some of the Romero movies are sometimes. Whereas I I, I love the Romero movies, particularly Day of the Dead. And those are visceral and bloody and gory. But there is still something to the weird surreality of this one where it's a little unrealistic. Yeah. You have like the weird coloration of the skin and the gargling noise and the weird distortion of the voice. Mm-hmm. It's disturbing in its own way, the gore and the <laughs> the death in this. Yeah, I totally agree. Another part of it is that this is a human activity. And in the Romero movies, almost the entirety of the gore and the violence is zombie on human violence. Um, And this is something that the humans are being very deliberate about doing. So uh, yeah, I agree that it is very visceral. And uh, I also love that they're like griping about the movie lying to them. <laughs> as they're tying it down in, in a line. I think w- might've been improvised by Tom Matthews. <laughs> they talk about how they, they allowed Tom Matthews in particular to like really improvise and kind of just, you know, do his own thing. If he felt like there was something to do there. I think all the actors, a lot of the actors given that freedom, but him in particular, they were impressed with. And I think that line may have been <laughs> improvised on the spot. <laughs> well, you did a great job, Tom, because it's very funny. Oh, yeah. He sounds so personally betrayed. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. Movies lie to us? You can just do that? Bullshit. That's bullshit, folks. <laughs> but they're going to enlist Ernie at the crematorium across the street to help destroy it because they have settled on it needs to be completely taken apart. 916, we're back at the cemetery. Trash is humping Suicide's leg <laughs> while he complains about being misunderstood, which is a very funny moment as well. Yeah, we get a little more depth to Suicide here. We get him as, as a little like kind of... He's got something uh, to say. He's a little like a Shakespearean soliloquy here, yeah. you know? Tina spies Freddy helping take the body over to the crematorium, and Ernie has his headphones on, so he's spooked by Bert, but is open to the idea of helping him out. <laughs> they initially tell him that it's rabid weasels, but he rightfully says, hey, man, you can't just burn animals alive. <laughs> Everything about it's, this movie, is, it's so difficult to talk about this without stopping every few minutes. There's just a rave about a new character being introduced. But Don Calfa as Ernie is Incredible. so good. I mean, so in a movie funny. that 
it didn't need a breath of fresh air this movie but then you realize oh there's fresher air <laughs> with <laughs> don kalfa like oh my god it, we didn't know we can get better than bert and frank and the rest of the punks and everybody but yeah. oh, here's another character that's just line after line is such a great delivery and you know he's so natural in this role it's incredible. He says that he'll put them down first and just whips a gun out of nowhere. <laughs> this is, of course, a Luger, one of many indicators that he may, in fact, yeah. be a Nazi in hiding. He, he's listening to, like, Germanic music. And right. then he's got a picture of Eva Braun on his wall. Of course. He breaks he, out into German at one point. Right. Yeah. He says the rain is coming down like a drunken soldier, but he says yep. it in German. O'Bannon says to the intentionally designed, he specifically said when they were designing the, the doors of the crematorium of the furnace to make it look like Auschwitz. Oh my so gosh. This is all deliberate. <laughs> wow. Well, mission accomplished. Yeah. It comes across. And uh, it's funny when you're like, is this guy a Nazi? <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those things. The movie does not need a secret Nazi subplot, but it's there and it's, it's very funny. <laughs> they reveal the true nature of the wriggling bags to Ernie here. And he says that he'll help out, but he needs something in return, although he's unspecific at that time. And in fact, throughout the entirety of the movie. So, uh, well, he does. I mean, he kind of alludes back to this, yes. but we never get an idea of what it might have been <laughs> had this not sh shook out the way it did, which based on his Nazi past. I'm a little concerned about what, yeah. that, uh, about what that favor might have been. Yeah, it could be a pretty pretty complicated favor down the road. They burn the body and the smoke raises up into the clouds, which promptly starts raining down the infected ash all over the cemetery. The yeah. punks are in and the synths kick in. Amazing, by the way, when these synths really kick in here. Fun, yeah, fun this moment. is another case of uh, this movie to me more than any other. I love and the pacing in a movie is sometimes hard to identify or talk about. But with this film, I really feel that every scene ramps up its pacing until it's inevitable ending. Yeah. Because it, it just is revealing layer after layer of like new, like, you know, this is how <laughs> new rules, this is how <laughs> zombies work now. You know, no, no, just, no. Exactly. Everything, <laughs> every scene just adds a new layer to it of like, okay, now we're ramping up the tension and the helplessness even more. You can't, you can't destroy their brains. You can't cut their heads off. You can't burn them. Yeah. And then we just, we learn more and more about this. We still have a lot to learn about these zombies and how they operate. So and true. every scene I think is adding a new element to it. It's such a wonderful case of like, it, it never slows down. It always is picking up more speed in some way. Right. They have established all the players and now the reveal comes and it's just slowly pulling away the curtain from, from the inevitable death of these characters. Yes. Yeah. And it's also where we get the start of just the rest of the movie. It is has this constant downpour of this rain. And it adds such a haunting atmosphere to the whole thing, too. On top of it being, like we said, a very theatrical experience. Like that rain coming down at sight, it's such a, it, it, it does kind of feel like a weird background effect in a theater. Like you would hear, like, yeah. you know. The shaking the aluminum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it does add a real element of, like, this, this really dark aesthetic to this movie. This this has such an aesthetic, identifiable aesthetic to it. Like, I, there's not many movies where you say like "Return Living Dead." You can just say the title, and you get all these colors and sounds and images in your mind that sure. perfectly fit this. Yeah, I, I agree. I, it is it is very unique in that way, especially for a zombie movie. I should yeah. say, the punks all run for the car, but they complain about their skin burning from the rain, which is very creepy in oh, and yeah. of itself. And there's this amazing zoom in on the oven as it continues to just pump out this smoke. That, I think, is 
my favorite shot in this whole movie uh, oh, in terms yeah. of like the way that the actual camera is executing as they they zoom in on that oven it's just so intimidating and uh, sh- like you know what's coming but no yeah. one else does it's just a really great moment it's got this element of evil to it absolutely yeah. like it is pumping out this like toxic you know death it is right. yeah it's it's very <laughs> creepy and again these these this is a set constructed in a warehouse and it looks amazing and it's just what they what they pulled off last minute they talk about how this set in particular like they were really pushed for time on this and that the metal slab that they put the bags on and burn things on, like it, it was the wrong type of metal oh, man. and it started to melt and sag. Oh no. During filming. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a testament to, I think to how great the editing and this is, we just had that great montage with the rain coming down and everything and it being a very cheap production, you know, and very rushed. Like I have to imagine what we're seeing is like, there's a lot of footage that does not look very good <laughs> because they were they so used, pressed for time. They used every frame of this movie. That Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it's so tightly shot and put together. You would. It is also only, it's less than 90 minutes, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's so. incredibly efficient. Yeah. And as you say, the rain is continuing to pour down and we see it seep into the coffins outside. I also love the slowly increasing ghoul makeup on Freddie and yeah. Frank. I, I've always loved this makeup and this is the thing O'Bannon meant he goes back to the the makeup so many times in the commentary. It's very, very clear that he he truly cared about this and like really wanted to get it right. And it shows on their makeup as they start to de- it's it's the clamminess of them that gets me, the wetness of, yeah. of like their skin. Yeah, it's so it's so visceral. And again, the performances by Karen and uh Tom Matthews, they really sell it. Just the the pain of dying. It, yeah. It's it's really freaky. They uh, are the, looking yeah. and feeling like shit. <laughs> oh yeah. And it comes through. <laughs> yeah, the color of their t- of their tongues when oh, they stick them out. Oh man, yeah, it's a uh, it's grody, and Ernie calls an ambulance because they're fucking dying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Tina is exploring the warehouse looking for Freddy when she discovers that the zombie that was in the case has fully returned to life as the iconic Tar Man. Really incredible design the effects on the voice and everything. Execution, yeah. I mean, this, he is the, the secret to this movie's success is pulling off this zombie. Alan um, Troutman is the, the, is the actor performer. and puppeteer who was yes. in there. It's, it's truly incredible. What, what they, they pull off here. I, I know we're also both huge Kaiju fans. You've talked about it a lot on the show. You've brought it up with other guests. I'm also a huge, huge fan of Kaiju. This has the same element to me of, you know how it's done. You know it's a guy in a suit with puppets and stuff, but there's still just a, a fascination to it watching it move like any good Godzilla performer. Yeah. You're going to not see a man in a suit for a moment. You're going to believe this is Godzilla on screen or this mm-hmm. is the Tar Man on screen and you don't, you just buy it. It's a, it's in its own world of reality of that's no longer a guy in a suit. That is Tar Man or that is Godzilla, that is King Kong, whatever. Yeah. His big sweeping movements are yes. really like unsettling and it's just done yeah. so well. He doesn't move like any of the other thing you've seen on screen. It's yeah. just, it has its own life to it, has its own energy to it. And it's, I think the very first shot of him coming out of the shadows is an older like design for him. And then he got redesigned by the new effects <laughs> guys. What do you see in all the, the, the wider shots? Yeah. But even having that, that shift in his appearance between shots, it adds something odd to him, something surreal. Yeah, absolutely. This is also a very fun moment where we finally get a payoff for the step 
Yes, which, yeah. <laughs> which has been <laughs> mentioned and squeaking the entire time. And when Tina runs back upstairs to escape the tar man, she in fact crashes right through that step. And the zombie comes for her and she has to hide in the locker. This is yeah. a very scary moment for me because not only is it frightening to be stuck in a small room with a zombie, but right. also claustrophobic, yeah. But also for him to be smart enough to grab chains and use them for leverage on the door handles. Like, Oh yeah. You can't underestimate Tarman. Yeah. You oh know my what? Gosh. I mean, he presumably came from that VA hospital. He's a veteran. He's got some kind of, <laughs> you know, he's training. from the army Corps of engineers himself. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious to get your opinion on sort of your sweet spot for zombies. And if this is sure. it in terms of speed and intelligence, because for me, this is unique and interesting enough yeah. because, you know, this don't get me wrong. I have talked about how I love day of the dead in particular. Yes. I think that there's a very interesting aspect of them, like maybe being able to use tools, but there's like their brain functions are diminished. And so right. they have to kind of relearn it, but this is so much scarier to me. Yeah. And I mean, it's tough. I want to say that this is my preference because it is my favorite zombie movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in particular, if I'm, if I'm taking this side of the equation, because I feel like I have to, or it's yeah. like, you know, even Hit me with it. What's the real deal? Anything else? I, I I do love shambling zombies, but I also love it, it's it's very tough. I I love zombies being able to express themselves. I think is maybe my sweet spot. Maybe that's <laughs> it. And this movie, they're able to speak and they're able to move and set traps and do interesting things. Yeah. In Day of the Dead. Bob is able to regain some sort of his semblance. I I love zombies that are able to express themselves. I think the speed and all the other things don't particularly matter as long as I feel like the zombies have some sort of personality to them Mm -hmm. or that they serve some kind of function of, you know, what the movie's talking about. Um, Another recent favorite I have is Train to Busan. And the creepiest moment of that movie to me is near the very end. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, spoilers for... Hey, I'll we already there. talked about it on this show, so... Oh, there you go. Yeah, listen to that episode. There you go. Um, <laughs> but near the end, when the boss is turning into a zombie, the CEO guy is turning into a zombie, he still has that little bit of humanity left to speak mm-hmm. and kind of beg forgiveness. Ooh, oh it's boy. so creepy and disturbing <laughs> to me to have a corpse speaking. You know what? My purpose for zombies is, like, I just want them to be corpses, not doing what corpses are supposed to do. <laughs> All it's scary. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, for me, the scariest part of that movie is at the very beginning when that contortionist is yeah. contorting Ooh, and it's real right. fucked up. <laughs> that is rough too. Yeah. Um, um, I, I do agree though. I am a shambler kind of guy. Yeah. You know, I like 28 Days Later, but I just think that there is something to be said about the threat being so deliberately zombies, you know, yes. anyone can run after me in real life, but right. the horde nature of this slow shambling death pursuing you to me, that's what zombies really, when they're, when they're at their yeah. best, I think the running zombies have their place. Yes. They're, they're a different vibe for sure. And they're far more aggressive, which can work to a movie's benefit. I think like the Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead running aggressive zombies fit with Zack Snyder's style. And yeah. so I think it, it works great in that movie. Yeah. I, for that one, I wouldn't want shambling 
that's just not Zach's speed. Sure. <laughs> yeah. It would, it would, it would be a very different movie. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I did also mention there's some weird voice thing going on with Tarman. I don't know if it's like oh, yes. double tracked or if they like, I mean, it, it feels double tracked. There's yeah. also some kind of fry going on. There's, there. there's a lot I could say about the sounds of this movie. There's actually two different versions of it with two different soundtracks. Like, wow. and I mean, I'm talking about completely different, soundtracks like the music's mixed different uh, mixed differently i think the more common version of this movie that might be an hbo is the altered version that has a different tarman voice than what it was originally right um there are certain blue uh the blu-ray happens from shout factory and i think that has the original audio version on mm-hmm. it that has all the original songs and then it has the original tarman voice i think one of the zombie voices changed later too abandon kind of went back and did like a lucas on this and sure remixed the audio and went back on his decision to kind of drown out the dialogue as much as he did before. So if you're, if you're a purist and an obsessive like me, <laughs> that shout factory version has the original audio in it. I, it's there you go. the one I prefer. There you go. That's the real deal. Folks, the rest of the punks come in to get out of the rain and find Tina and Freddie, but instead discover Tina and Tarman. Yes. Who promptly chows down on suicide's head. <laughs> oh yeah. He's so excited. He is. I love his joy and the way he says brains at that moment. He's thrilled. He's so happy, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They barricade the door and they run back for the cemetery where they find the corpses beginning to reanimate. This moment where it it pans up the skeleton and his eyes open just as the music starts up with, do you want to party? I get this movie is my dream aesthetic. It's like everything (laughs) I want. (laughs) It's it's that's scary and it's weird and it's stupid and it's silly and it's one just wants to party. That that's some party it up. time, folks. Yeah, it's party time. <laughs> the EMTs have also arrived, and like I said, Freddie and Frank have seen better days. To put it mildly, they're shivering, completely gaunt, yellow tongues, unresponsive pupils, uh, no pulse, reflexes, uh, blood pressure of zero over zero, yeah. and perhaps most importantly, their room temperature. <laughs> I love this too. This is just another uh, example of the punk element of this movie. It's just like they even lay out like, okay, these are the rules for being alive. You don't fit any of these. We're breaking <laughs> the all the rules. Like, you're yeah. dead. And they're like, what? And he's like, well, I mean, you're talking, so you're not dead, <laughs> dead but you're dead. <laughs> yeah. It's great. I love these two paramedics and the way they handle it so professionally too. It's just like, they're not freaking out about this. Like these are the most calm people we've met this entire movie. <laughs> And they're meeting two like literal corpses that are speaking to them. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. This is, however, interrupted by the arrival of some of the punks. Trash's nightmare fantasy unfortunately came true, and she was quickly devoured as uh, the zombies rose up. But the rest have fled. Spider, Tina, and Scuzz have made it to Group A, which is uh, these people here <laughs> with the EMTs. But Chuck and Casey are still out there, pursued by zombies back into the medical supply place. The EMTs head for their ambulance, but are quickly taken down themselves. I love the moment where he turns on the headlights yeah. and there's just that that swarm of them out there. Oh, man, that's another really great moment. Yeah. Again, a packed frame of details. You know, there's a lot of. Yeah, it, it's it's awesome. You see, like, there's a the real de- great depth to it. You might think there's either like 10 zombies or 100 of zombies. You can't tell. It's great. Yeah. And I think that part of what makes that moment really stand out to me is that we've talked about how funny this movie is. But there are moments that are genuinely unnerving to me. Yes. And I think that chills. this yeah. is one of those moments where, you know, there, you, there is some tension. It is obviously a 1985 movie. And so depending on what you're used to, 
you you might have to buy in a little more. But uh, yeah. I think that if you're able to get into the world, that there are moments in this that will really be like, oh shit. <laughs> Yeah, based on what they set up, exactly. We we now know, learned how durable these zombies are, that you can't kill them, how bloodthirsty and violent they are, and then now we have a swarm of them. It, it, it ups the, the ante so well, right after it teaches you how things work. Yeah. I mean, it's like, and it still has things to teach you about how they work. <laughs> yeah. Ernie goes to check on them, and he discovers the horde eating these EMTs, which they then pursue him. Mm-hmm. They start barricading as the chaos breaks out, I love when they head to the chapel and the text above the door says beyond this fleeting day, the rest from which no man wakes, which is, Oh yes. That's yeah. a classic. And if we mentioned the name of the cemetery, it's resurrection. Oh yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> which That's weird. That's a weird yeah. name. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're kind of asking for it. <laughs> Back outside. One of the zombies that is cogent enough to talk he calls into the dispatch or he talks back to them because they call first and yeah. uh, and he says send more paramedics and it's this so is, funny it's so fucked the, up yeah this is one of the moments again one of the moments where i'm watching this and every time i think this might be my favorite movie is, is one of <laughs> is this moment here it's such a great creepy reveal that they have this level of of cognizance like you said where they're acting. He's, gonna, yeah. he's now like acting. He's gonna. He's, they're they're now pulling tricks on people to wow. get more brains. It's wonderful, Incredible. and it's such a great reveal of like again. Every scene is is giving you more of what they can do and the level they go and how hopeless everything is. Yeah, you know, because of course, yeah, you would send more paramedics if you did that call. <laughs> like, um, it is great. I I really love that moment, and it's another distinguishing factor where this is the first time that they've they've communicated in a way that is like a full sentence where even yes. if you picked up on the brains thing before you know that could just be like a guttural like uh instinctual thing but right. for him to be like i understand yeah. that There's paramedics reasoning <laughs> going on here yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the good shit that's what that's what i'm loving about this movie mm-hmm. for sure the barricade starts to come down and while they repair it Scuzz gets freaking chomped on. The good news is, though, that they deleg the zombie lady who was <laughs> chewing on his brain so they can ask it some questions. Mm-hmm. First of all, very fun animatronic here. Oh, yes. I assume it was an animatronic. Um, yeah, it, it's like a puppet operated from beneath the table. Sure. I believe is what William Stout said. Yeah. That also sounds too, right. <laughs> uh, you see that moment, there's just like a great fountain of blood when Scuzz gets chomped on. Yeah. It, it is violent yeah. and it really paints that wall there. It's great. <laughs> it is. I also, you know, speaking of the eye kickers, the little yeah. like leaking spinal fluid yes. uh, is, is yeah, such a great I did not notice that one. for the longest time. I didn't notice it until I got this great book called the complete history of the return of the living dead. And it covers all four movies in this, in the franchise, but they spend the most time on the first one. And I didn't know about it until I was reading about that scene in the book. And it oh, describes wow. how you can see the spinal fluids drip out. It's like, Oh yeah. And now every time since I have to make sure to catch it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's gross. It's really gross to just see like that clear liquid, like pooling yes. at the bottom there. But she reveals that being dead is agonizing. That they can feel yeah. themselves rotting, which is the most existentially terrifying thing I can possibly imagine. Oh, yes. And again, this is the reason that this movie speaks to me, <laughs> particularly. <laughs> like, this is exactly my worldview. This is, yeah, things are this horrible and bad all the time. But hey, it's also life's a party, you know? That's, 
that's how you sum this movie up is is that line is is horrifying and and just philosophically <laughs> scary yeah but the dead are hurting all the time and you think about tar man in that drum for 14 years being oh, conscious man. and feeling pain feeling himself rot and i need some brains too you know sure. if i was in that position <laughs> yeah when, when you when you tell someone that they deserve to be locked up mm-hmm. in a in a can for 14 years they're gonna act like it <laughs> but yeah she she reveals that eating brains is what makes the pain stop temporarily but it does Meanwhile, the rain continues, bringing the muddy corpse of trash up from the dirt. Uh, Although this is also one of the areas where I find it a very interesting distinction from the Romero ones in that only the chemical makes more zombies, not just death or even zombie bites. Right. Because suicide doesn't come back. Right. Yeah. But all the cops who get killed outside do because they're in the rain, I have to presume. Right. Uh, And I think that that is... One, a great way to handle it just Mm -hmm. in general from like a story perspective, but two, it helps to keep it manageable. This helps to make it feel like if they can get this taken care of, maybe there's a way out to contain things. Right. And that is not always the case. You don't always get that feeling in other zombie movies where it's just like, well, in the Romero ones where it's just when you die, you come back. No wonder it gets to the point of day of the dead where they're just like, what the fuck are we even doing here? This is gonna, (laughs) they're going to overtake us. Yeah. So, so just another great distinction for this movie. Yeah, definitely. And it also goes to, I mean, there's enough like lore and rules for this movie to imply like a larger world. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a great piece of a little bit of like world building and it's like kind of setting, okay, these are the boundaries of this world and these are the rules. And I think it adds to this movie feeling like, I mean, there's no quite, there's obviously there's a lot of sequels to this or a few sequels to this. And there was more to be kind of explored in this world. And I totally feel that in this movie, it's like inviting you to kind of think more about, well, okay, well, we have this story of the last time the barrels leaked out. We have other barrels. We have other, you know, <laughs> sure. Other Where places, else did other they send it? This? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Trash quickly chows down on a nearby homeless man while the gang locks Frank and Freddie in the chapel as they scream in agony from the rigor mortis. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> when they reveal the, like, bruises on his back, mm-hmm. that's another grody moment. It's disgusting. And again, Tom Matthews really selling the pain there. When, when you're in that much agony, like, it, it, it rings as true. Like, I've, I, you don't, you've had those moments of pain where it's like you just can't help but cry out. And this is yeah. what it feels like. And it's so believable. You don't, I don't hear that level of, like, <laughs> of realism in movies that often. Yeah. And Tina does stay with them, refusing to leave Freddy, although those two finally perish all the way. And Frank escapes while Freddy tries to eat her and she mm-hmm. pounds on the door to be let Another out. Another great little acting moment when Tom Matthews rolls his eyes back in his head as he like passes away and finally dies and then becomes zombified. Yeah. They see some cops looking for ambulances that got the ambulance EMT drivers who've been devoured. Uh, and the zombies radio for more of them as well. This is another one of those like play on words that I really enjoyed when the cops threatened to blow their brains out. Which, oh yeah. <laughs> like that's just a fun choice of words for them. <laughs> there was some weird fact in the commentary that uh, William Stout brought up that when he says we got a man down over here, apparently that actor is an actual cop that they called in to play this role. Oh, wow. And man down was new lingo at that time. So this was like one of the first times it was said, or maybe the first time it was said Incredible. in a movie. 
yeah, you don't think about weird stuff like that. <laughs> but I mean, hey, this is what William Stout claims. I don't know how. Hell yeah. Is. Well, this is the kind of detail you're only going to get on the best little horror house in Philly, <laughs> folks. And I guess the weekly podcast massacre. No, no, because... no. This is this this is a this is a little horror house exclusive. Wow. I won't bring it up there. Exclusive. Don't worry. Yeah. Eddie has a broken foot now, so he can't run. But Snake and Bert, Spider and Bert. I don't know why he wrote Snake so much. Spider and Bert make a break for the cop car. They get to it, but they can't go back for the other two because they're swarmed by zombies. And so Bert says, we're going to fuck off, but they can't get down the road either because that's blocked by a horde. Yeah. So uh, they go. For- I, I love this pairing of uh, of Bert and Spider. <laughs> it's such a you don't ever think of these two guys together. But once they get together, they, they are great together. I yeah. love them as a duo. Yeah. They really get stuff done. <laughs> it, it is very funny, especially because like. It is kind of like an interesting odd couple setup to be like, mm-hmm. well, you've got this like old ass empl- like businessman here who's been like, oh, we just got to take care of my old savings and loan. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have this punk who is who has been hanging out in a graveyard the whole time. Uh, it, it does stick around yeah, <laughs> <just> aimlessly. Yeah, <laughs> it does work very well together. I like it a lot. Yeah. Uh, but they uh, they go for the warehouse and they accidentally burst right through a wall and they find Chuck and Casey in there. Meanwhile, Ernie and Tina have holed up in the roof of the crematorium, pursued by a blinded Freddy after they threw acid in his face. Frank, however, crawls his butt into the oven. Pretty grim, but also like yeah. good dude to sacrifice himself instead kind of hurting very people. touching. He takes off his wedding ring and he he says goodbye to the wife that he called earlier. Yeah. <laughs> it is it is kind of just like very sweet revealed. Like oh, he actually did like love his wife. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and he's doing this for her. Yeah, so true. It's, it's a nice um, moment for all. Frank and wonderful there. song on the soundtrack there by Rookie Erickson. I really love that that song in that moment. It's such a great. Just a little when he starts to kneel down and the beat hits, mm. like the, you hear that synth come in. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's wonderful. The group of kids and Bert are going to venture into the basement despite the threat of Tarman so that they can tell the cops that they're there. And Bert absolutely knocks his fucking block off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as they open the door, which is so funny to me that this whole time we've been like, oh, fuck, Tarman's down there. You got to watch out for Tarman. And then man. they open the door and just fucking knock his head off. Oh, you can't you can't fuck with Clue, man. He is. He's so great. <laughs> I love him in this. I uh, I saw this um, at a screening in 2019 at the New Beverly here in Los Angeles. Wow. And Clue is a, a regular at the New Beverly, which is why he has a cameo in once upon a time on Hollywood because Tarantino knows him from sure in his theater all the time, but he gave a, he was there at the screening and he gave a little like speech before it. It was a double feature of this and nightmare on Elm street part two, which he's also right. And uh, he was kind of saying like, I, this guy, you know, I was always kind of so proud of this movie's legacy. And, you know, it was kind of a tough time making it. And, but you know, the fan response has been great. He was, he, Talked about how he loved working in horror movies because they were the only movies that would employ him at this time. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you guys were paying me. And like, you get the, you know, horror directors are often very nice, very fun people. And so, yeah, he, he does a bit, he's a big horror fan himself, it seems like. Awesome. Well, he does a great job in this. And I am glad that he was having trouble finding work because otherwise we wouldn't get this performance. <laughs> so take that clue. <laughs> But so he they go in there and he calls the number on the side of the tank and it goes up the army chain of command, which leads to the implementation of their contingency plan, which is blow their asses up. Yeah. So five in the morning of Independence Day, 20 yeah. square blocks of Louisville are leveled with about 4,000 dead. 
only 4,000 dead. Only 4,000 dead. Yeah. That's right. As and we get a montage of like the, the, the fallout and the, you know, all the, the, the chaos this results in and the screams and the sounds of the dead rising. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, it's, it's a great setup to be like, uh, don't worry about the fires. The rain is still going and yes. it'll put it out. Problem and, the, solved, and the president right? is visiting later. <laughs> right. Uh, the president's going to go visit this, this recently nuked city. Sure, yeah. It won't be overrun <laughs> by zombies. Right. Yeah. It is very interesting that they didn't use that setup as like a sequel idea. I would have loved to see really good setup like a satirical for a thing of the president becomes a zombie. Oh, yeah, man. that would have been really good. But great. the movie does end with one last look at the skeleton bursting through his grave. And do you want a party? S- kicks off one last time. A wonderful and bleak ending yes. to a fantastic, fantastic zombie movie. Yeah. I have not seen the sequels. I have seen Return of the Living Dead Part 2. I love this one so much. And that one upset me so much. <laughs> That I never bothered to watch the rest of them. Although I do know people do really defend the third one, I yes. think, which is Rave from the Grave, I think is what it's called. And based on the synopsis of it, it does sound like a very interesting idea. And it sounds more in line with this one than the sequel. The sequel is similar in a lot of, in a lot of ways, including having Tom Matthews and James Karen in very similar roles. Wow. Um, yeah, they, they are the only returning actors, and but they're playing completely different characters. <laughs> but it just has none of that same magic. Where yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember if William Stout came back, but it is probably, if I watch it again, probably fun on its own as a low budget 80s zombie comedy. But it's not the same as this in that in this movie, all the comedy is not undercutting the horror or the suspense at all. Right. The jokes are never that people, people are reacting genuinely to these situations, but their reactions are still funny even though it's like actual terror <laughs> that they're <laughs> that they're depicting, there's still something funny about it, the whole thing. But in the sequel, all the jokes totally like strip away the suspense and the horror aspect of it. And it's just a silly comedy. Like you have the dead cracking jokes and oh making puns and things like that. As opposed to this where the dead, they're strange and they're very weird. And there is a, a funniness to yelling out brains and <laughs> the way they talk and everything, but they, they are still very scary to experience. Yeah. Um, and they're not like telling jokes. <laughs> right. Exactly. No, the, the movie takes them seriously, but there's still comedy in it somehow. Right. And it's like I said earlier, where it's, it's the same breath. It's not, scare then joke it's scare and joke all in the same package so true and greg i think that that is a great segue into describing why this is not just a good horror movie Mm -hmm. but is in fact the best horror movie ever made and i'm gonna let you start sure i think return of living dead is the best horror movie ever made because it is such a unique and uncommon movie not only in a zombie subgenre, but in horror and in all movies and cinema in general, I just really can't think of any other movies that play with menace and comedy and nihilism and low budget crafts and really smart directing and editing great performances across the board. Just the way that it ramps up the tension doesn't lose speed. And it has this confidence about it where even at the very end, it just replays a montage of like greatest <laughs> hits from the movie. Yeah. It just know it knows right away. You're going to want to see these again. <laughs> and it shows you so you get more in the credits of Tarman saying brains you get like you know a lot of great jokes and 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 audio clips played this movie just has this confidence and this brashness about it that 
I, I love, it's what I love about punk. It's what I love about horror. It's what I love about movies. It's what I love about art that people can be this brash and this expressive and creative um, with so little and make something so unique and so out of the box. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And to me, this is the best horror movie ever made because ever since rewatching Manhunter, I have <laughs> been on a real reject realism, embrace expressionism kind of yeah. kick. I, yeah. And I think that this is like the zombie equivalent of doing that. This is fully embracing the aesthetic of punk, melding it with zombies and creating something that is still wholly unique. It is its own thing. I have personally never seen anything accomplish what Return of the Living Dead does. And I think that the fact that it has this unique look while also having some truly, truly funny performances and some some scares, I'm going to say it, some scares. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that, you know, all of this comes together to create a great movie. And then you, when you, when you look at all of the like contextual information that had to shake out in such a weird way in order to make this thing even possible, it, it feels like a wonderful fluke that we got it. And we've, we've talked about sort of this like optimistic nihilism that's mm -hmm. in it. And I think you said, you know, nothing matters. Let's party that, that it sums it up great. And I think that it is a pretty healthy attitude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, I mean, 100% rejecting realism, but at the same time, it's being realistic in its view of death. Like you yeah. can't fight against it. You'll never overcome it. All of our characters are people who in some way should have an understanding of how, death works mm -hmm. but you come to learn this movie oh no we don't know anything it's unknowable exactly. and we can't overcome it no matter how much you know about rigor mortis and you know uh all these things like we we don't know what what it's like and it's it's a scary concept that is perfectly encapsulated in this movie and yet somehow being that depressing it is hilarious <laughs> and it, it gets you over it too <laughs> yes i totally agree um, Greg, this was so much fun, man. I love this movie. I love talking movies with you. Thank Please you, you. tell people where they can listen to you talk more movies. Yeah, so you can listen to me talk more movies on the weekly podcast Massacre, which I do with my friends Murph and our friend Kill. And um, you can find it on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, all those regular places. Um, we've got three episodes out now. Most recent one was, was the Canadian horror film Slacks from this year. Um, yeah, it's just the three of us talking about movies and breaking them down, uh, using like, you know, very niche subgenres <laughs> and themes and talking about, you know, um, very, uh, things unique to horror movies, I'd say. Yeah. And, uh, we got, we got a lot of fun stuff coming up. Like I said, assimilation August just around the corner. Very much looking so. forward to that. You got a Twitter account, right? Yeah. Real at weekly massacre on Twitter and Instagram. There you go. Check that out folks. As far as my plugs, you can find me on Twitter at LittleHorrorPHL. Um, like I said, we got the Patreon, which has all kinds of bonus episodes, including stuff like EC Comics and its history and uh, all that stuff, which is a very fun episode with Andy Neese from Hollywood Handbook. You might know him from. Oh, great. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, all the jazz folks, rate and review <laughs> if you're enjoying it. Whatever. Who yeah. cares? Just listen to the podcast. That's all I ask. <laughs> so I want to say, George, too, I, I'm a regular listener and I, I love the show. It's it's wonderful. And it's an honor to be back on it for a second time. I really appreciate having me back and, well, and my inspiring me to get into podcasting myself. Also, I don't think I would be doing it without you. So, well, that means a lot. And uh, I am happy to have you for my friend, because this is uh, your We've talked about all the stuff that we have in common, and uh, this is just a great excuse to uh, talk movies, man. Definitely. uh, I mean, that's it. Check out Weekly Podcast Massacre. It's great. Bye. Bye.